Just wanted to make a note at the top that news broke after we had recorded about Fantastic Beasts and the extended Harry Potter universe franchise over at Warner Brothers, uh, kind of turfing out given the load of scandals that are swirling around uh, everything about that, uh, which we do not mention, but I will include a link to the article. Also, Jared mentions David Lynch's rumored new film at the Cannes Film Festival, which David Lynch, again, directly after we stopped recording, debunked those rumors. I'll also include a link to that in there. Please stick around all the way to the end to hear Bruce's interview with Kathleen Robertson, Diane Kruger, and Kieran Shipka of Swimming with Sharks on Roku. And now, here's the show. Welcome to Streamed and Screened, a podcast distributed by Lee Enterprises about all the new movies and TV shows that are just over the horizon we think are worth your time, and maybe some that even aren't. Uh, the show is hosted by Bruce Miller, an entertainment reporter from multiple decades, who is now the editor of the Sioux City Journal. Hello, Bruce. Multiple decades. That's the key factor right there. <laughs> it's, it's experience. Uh, also on board is uh, Jared McNett, a reporter for the Sioux City Journal. Hello, Jared. Chris, I, uh, I have to leave. I have to uh, take my cashmere back. It uh, got uh, very poorly damaged during uh, some <laughs> shenanigans I got up to uh, over the weekend. So, uh, yeah. And me, uh, Chris Lay, the podcast operation manager for Lee. So, yeah, we're looking at a, a week of, I don't know, a couple of big movies that, that we're going to get to in a little bit, but uh, it's worth kind of jumping back and looking at the, the week that was. Jared with his intro referenced the the new Michael Bay movie Ambulance. Let's talk about that. Jared, what did you think? I loved it. I absolutely loved it. I was very excited to uh just see a really good like well-made uh genre movie that didn't have to make any uh serious points about anything and instead was just a 2-hour movie of increasingly escalating uh, action set pieces that included a healthy amount of drone shots that were just like breathtaking to to see unfold, especially one uh, during a car chase where the ambulance is doing donuts in like a dirt parking lot. There's a beautiful uh, drone shot in that. So uh, Michael Bay dumping out his uh, full bag of tricks uh, in this movie. And I don't know if we talked about it last week or not, but like his action stuff that isn't the Transformers movies, I have plenty of time for like I'm willing to at least hear him out on some of that stuff and with Ambulance I'm really glad I did because it's a lot of fun uh Jake Gyllenhaal is out of his mind uh in Ambulance and I appreciated it for uh that factor too Bruce what did you think yeah you know that's the kind of film that belongs in a theater because you need that all the bells and whistles that come with a theater and we haven't had one come on no it's time it's you know, and it, they don't make sense. No, they don't make sense. It's all stupid. And you think, really, you're going to do this? No. And all he's he's becoming a, a Denzel ish kind of person where you're going to do these things that are noble and whatever. OK, I like Jake Gyllenhaal, though, as kind of a a weird guy. I don't need him to be noble. I like and his him. his character is very inexplicably strange. There's there's not a whole lot of a, I mean there's it's not really three dimensional I guess as a character. Let let's say embossed maybe like it's just a little a little to the touch. It's got some dimension but not much. It's a pretty flat character. But he he's bonkers. There's also some strangeness too, just with the 
some choices Michael Bay makes, which is including referencing his own movies uh, in the movie Ambulance. Uh, there's a conversation that happens about the movie The Rock uh, at one point, which was incredible to actually watch play out. Be like, wait a minute, did he just reference one of his own movies like in the dialogue? That's synergy for a future streaming um, series, you know, coming Thursday, The Rock. Exactly. Yeah, and I, I totally will second, uh, well, Jared with the the drone shots and Bruce with seeing it in a theater. I had the opportunity to see it on, on a big IMAX screen. And I don't know of any other movie that has made such balletic use of drones. And that, that's really not hyperbole to say balletic. The, the scene, the sequence that, that Jared was referencing with the car chase, the, the close up stuff is it's gnarly. I mean, it really is amazing just from a production standpoint and all of the, there's numerous times where a drone will either, you know, kind of go straight up the side of a building or straight down the side of a building and swoop around and the, the freedom that, that the drones have given uh, someone like Michael Bay to achieve just this more intense <laughs> visual uh, accomplishment. As I understand it, they brought in like some like 19 year old kid that's like a uh, like a drone racer, basically, to help out with a lot of the stuff. And so some of that they only had like one take to do it in. And so the kid just has had to be exactly perfect with some of that drone placement and everything. So from a technical standpoint, yeah, it's incredibly impressive. I think we learned that as kids go to drone class. Yes, honestly. Yeah. Yeah. While, while, while you still have the uh, the quick twitch muscle uh, abilities. So, and it seems like that is a movie that is getting dinged right now because it didn't make a whole lot of money opening weekend. And I'm I'm hoping that the the word of mouth, uh, especially I mean from all three of us uh, specifically, I, I want I want to take full credit if if there's a yes. an ambulance bounce uh, after after next weekend. But we'll see. Another movie that uh, I know Jared and I both saw, and we can bring Bruce up to speed on this, is a an Indian film called RRR. I'm going to let Jared take this away. Uh, tell, tell Bruce all about the movie RRR. I can hardly wait. So I, I know uh, three hours, that's already a little bit of a tough sell. But Pass. even maybe when considering Ambulance, I think that RRR is going to end up being my favorite like action-based movie for the year because they don't even like pay any mind to reality in terms of some of the action sequences in the movie. There's one where like a bunch of like animals basically spill out during a party, including like tigers and wolves and stuff. And they just like let loose. There's another scene where like, there's a whole building full of explosives that just go up in uh, complete flames. That is, is wild to watch unfold. And um, at one point a guy picks up a motorcycle and hits another guy uh, with a motorcycle. And I don't even know if any of those three things are the most like ridiculous action parts of the movie. And then being in the tradition of some of the, uh, the films we get out of India, there are a couple of like musical numbers uh, sprinkled throughout oh, the movie. Good. We're always up for Bollywood dances, right? Yeah. And the, the music was insanely catchy. And there's a dance in the movie that actually went viral before the movie uh, even came out. And like the dancing in it is pretty, pretty cool to watch. So um, if you want to hear like catchy music and then also just some really terrific action stuff, there's basically only one movie for you. What does RRR stand for? Rise, roar, and revolt. That's it. Anything we, anybody we know who's in it? 
No, it's uh, guys that I, I'm certain are a lot bigger in uh, India, obviously, but no one that would be familiar to folks here, I don't think. It's sort of a like star-crossed buddy movie. Yep. In a way, very, very bromantical. And the tension that builds over the course of it is, is pretty interesting. And then finally, it kind of has this, uh, when, when they, everything connects at the end. It's basically the story of like these two revolutionaries in like 1920s uh, India that are like on uh, working at cross purposes to like try to fight back against the British. And so it almost has a little bit of like a departed kind of thing in terms of the story where like one of them is like, you know, like trying to take down the Brits and the other one is like working for the Brits, but is trying to take them down. And so that's where a lot of the tension comes from. Does it need three hours? Yes. Yeah, I didn't I didn't feel the the length or the weight of the movie at all, really, when I was watching it. Same. I mean, it's it's very episodic in its in its structure. And there I mean, it could have been broken into two movies. I mean, if if anyone is looking to stream this as opposed to seeing it in a theater, uh, which go see the theater if you can, I think. Uh, but if you can take it home and watch it there. There is an intermission halfway through that is a pretty good stopping point if you want to break it into two chunks. But uh, yeah, it is. It's fantastic. And the some of the opening action sequence kind of things are over the top. And then it just elevates past every single (laughs) one of those. Um, And whatever ridiculous plot logic it sets up for itself, it sticks with. Highly recommended for anyone who's got an open mind about I mean, world cinema, really. Fantastic Beasts, part 97, is it? What is it? Yep, Fantastic Beasts, The Secrets of Dumbledore. You know what I find interesting about this is you barely see Eddie Redmayne anywhere. They kept him back in in some of the early trailers. Does that say he's like a loser in terms of that audience? Or are they more interested in like the villainy kind of guys so we don't want to push that? I think they're just trying to foreground some of the other characters in, I mean, he, he's in, uh, Eddie Redmayne is in some of the, the more recent trailers that have come out, but the first few that I kept seeing in theaters, I don't even think he was in them at all, much less teased. Basically Jude Law and Mads Mikkelsen. He's the new Johnny Depp. Isn't he the <laughs> new Johnny Depp? Yes. You're Potter people. Nope. Nope. You're not? Nope. Nope. I don't see any need for this, this series at all. There's nothing there that makes you want to, you know, did I really feel like I had withdrawal from Harry Potter? Not really. I like the idea that we're done with him, but I'm ready for that comeback that they can do with the, the stage play. And if they film it as a film and have the kids, cause they'll be old enough by then to play the roles. That's good. I'm good with that. We're tapping out, we're done. But she gets canceled every other day. So you never know where that sits with Harry Potter. That was something I was going to mention without getting too much into that is like, it's increasingly weird to have these like Harry Potter world movies coming out when like JK Rowling manages to keep digging herself a bigger and bigger like grave basically. So like that even kind of feels that way in the trailers and stuff where it's like, oh yeah, here's this story that uh, didn't come from anyone in particular. Don't, don't bother looking up uh, who uh, came up with this story. Just go see the movie. Yeah. It'll be interesting. I don't know that it'll be the big hit that they think it is, even though it's coming out Easter weekend. Yeah, I mean, I think it'll do fine. It really kind of just feels like uh, Peter Jackson's The Hobbit all over again, where it's like, did we really need three 
Hobbit movies to note as a prequel to the Lord of the Rings stuff? No. No, we do not. But, I mean, every single major studio right now, any bit of a, a toehold they have on a franchise, they are just going to wring every drop out of it. Yeah, and as Bruce was even kind of hinting at, like, HBO has the rights to do a Harry Potter show at some point, and I got to think that it's only a matter of time before something like that ends up coming down the pike because there's way too much money on the table to not do that. So, Well, and the way they have merchandised this, there's a whole big Harry Potter store in New York. I always thought it'd be fun to go to see the, uh, the sets of everything in London, but that, that just seems like another thing. It just doesn't seem like the thing to go do. You can drink butterbeer just about anywhere now. Yep. So I think we're all, we're all pretty mad on, on fantastic beasts. Batman versus Harry Potter. That'll come someday. I'm for that. I mean, let's, you know, get some, some real smash brothers kind of, kind of action going. I'm vengeance, Harry. Right. What have you seen recently, Bruce? What have you been up to? What have I seen recently? Well, we'll talk about it later, but um, I did watch all of Swimming with Sharks. Mm-hmm. And it's based on, remember the old movie with Kevin Spacey and, and um, Frank Wally? Good movie. They've kind of taken the concept of evil studio people and then twisted it a lot. There's a little fatal attraction in there. There's, you know, a lot of stuff. It's six episodes. It's basically one movie. You think it might be a little all about Eve and then it turns and it's not at all about Eve. It's a revenge flick that you make you think, oh, I don't know. I want to go to Hollywood. It could be bad. Interesting. It moves quickly, very quickly. And it was a passion project of the director, Kathleen Robertson. Kathleen Robertson, yeah. We have an, in- an interview once we're wrapped here. But yeah, and that's on Roku, the Roku channel. I don't know if I've ever actually watched anything on the Roku channel. So well, get a I've, Roku stick and you're good. I have Roku, but I don't think I've ever actually watched anything on the Roku channel. Like I've, you know, I've, I've run other streaming services through Roku. I'm intrigued to experience that. This was one of those things that I think had been set up at QB and then that disappeared. And so Roku took it over. I saw more of the offer. The offer continues to be just as kind of fun and, and greasy as I wanted it to be. So that's good. Did you see any more of uh, the first lady? I saw, yes. I, first lady is um, extremely good, extremely good. The first episode gets you juiced for it. And then they kind of go into other things that they had in common, even though they're like three women that would probably never talk to each other if they were all in the same era. But it's very fascinating. And I think it's a great way of showcasing actresses. The more you watch Viola Davis, the better she gets. And she's really good when you first see her. So you can imagine if this isn't going to be her Emmy nomination for Best Limited Series A actress, I don't know what will be. And my Michelle Pfeiffer, who I've always loved, is good. Um, what's odd about it is that Gillian Anderson as Eleanor Roosevelt, kind of the one that would be a no-brainer, doesn't look as good as those two. It's fascinating. And I think it helps us humanize what the White House is all about. But yes, I have seen more of that. And I do like it. And I would start it if I were you. That'll be on Showtime. Uh, yeah, and that is on Showtime starting April 17th. And then I've been watching some stuff on, on Disney Plus. There's a, a kind of a behind the scenes thing with animators. And it's very fascinating. They draw characters 
well, they talk about them and what different things you need to know about them as they're doing it. One of the ones I saw was Eric Goldberg doing the genie from Aladdin. And the genie has far too many parts, I think, to him for anybody just to try and draw on your own. But he talks about all of the things that kind of went into the making of the of the genie. And, you know, we always hear about how Robin Williams was the voice was what gave it life. And really, there are other things in there as well that um, little offhanded comments that were made during the recording sessions that go, okay, now that makes sense. I understand that. So you get that with a lot of different characters. There is a, uh, a veteran animator who is from Korea and wanted to be an animator the longest, the longest way. And he talks about getting into the business and they have him draw Captain Hook as his kind of entrance exam. And he talks about Captain Hook and what all these things mean. And you never, ever, ever thought about that uh, when you were watching Captain Hook. And it's very fascinating what all the different curves and elements mean. So um, I, that'll be a fun one to watch. It'll be coming up fairly short, shortly on Disney+. Plus. When you were uh, talking about uh, The First Lady as being a, a great show to kind of highlight actresses, there's a, a new show that's coming out on Apple TV on April 15th called Roar, which is an anthology series based on a book by Cecilia Ahern. And it seems very similar to, to Black Mirror, but instead of technology, it's more femininity and you know what it's like to be a woman in, in the world today. And I know Issa Rae is in that and looks like it's got a pretty pretty stacked cast as well. From the folks that were behind Glow, which never got its uh, end that it uh, desperately needed because Netflix pulled the plug very prematurely and very stupidly, uh, in my opinion. Uh, and it should come back, but it's nice to see that they're uh, working on something else with a lot of clout behind it like this. Yeah, it's got Nicole Kidman in it, uh, Issa Rae, and also... Cynthia Erivo is in it too. Cynthia Erivo is in it. And one of the, the actresses in Glow... Or I think it's got a couple of Betty the actresses Gilpin. from yeah. yeah, Betty Gilpin yeah, Betty and Gilpin. Allison Brie, too. And she's coming up in the um, the Martha Mitchell, um, John Mitchell series, Gaslit. Mm. Oh, yeah. <laughs> she plays Maureen Dean in that. Yeah, Gaslit is coming out on April 24th on Stars, um, which we will we will for sure talk about that in in a couple of weeks when when that's on the uh, on the bubble. It's amazing though, Nicole Kidman, does she ever stay home? She's in everything. She's constantly, like she's got this new movie now, The Northman coming up. She had to go over to Iceland to film that thing. And then she's in this, she's in Roar and she's in, she, she doesn't quit working. So good for her. It's great that you mentioned The Northman because uh, we actually, next week, will be uh, featuring an interview that you'll have with uh, Robert Eggers, the director of that, as well as The Witch and The Lighthouse. Yeah, and you notice how he always starts every title with a the, just a thought. But we talk about, uh, I talked with him and we talk about doing a really big film and how, uh, how daunting that was for him because he could get his hands around the smaller things but he said, this is massive, just massive. When you have this whole army of people that are working with you, and then you think, should I have done this? But he had a real good co-conspirator in Alexander Skarsgård who really wanted to do something like this and thought that they would be the best partners to do it. 
preview of coming attractions. That's pretty good. I guess we can bring it back around to another movie that's coming out in theaters that looks interesting. I'm not sure where it's going to be in the mix, but uh, Father Stew, directed by Rosalind Ross. It's one that I've seen posters. You know, all right. Now, okay. The gloves are coming off. Well, hold on now. Let me let me let me, let me at least set this up before, before it's we based in truth. It. So okay, I get that. And you say that the gloves are off, but it's a uh, true life story about a boxer yeah, yeah. who turned into a priest, and it stars Mark Wahlberg and Mel Gibson. Uh, also has Jackie Weaver, who we're big fans of. Malcolm McDowell's in the mix. Directed by Rosalind Ross, who's a uh, first time feature director. I know Mark Wahlberg heard the story and really wanted to, to make a movie out of it. It looks interesting, but also kind of sappy. But anyway, what were you going to say, Bruce? Well, come on. Does Mark Wahlberg need this? No, 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 no. And he has some of those kind of cheap and dirty, I'm the dumb stepdad kind of films that are in his background. But he was on a really good path there, doing good films with good directors and good, you know, they were good. And then he kind of dips into these, like, do we need the money? Is this shoring up Wahlburgers? Is this what we're doing with this thing? And that's what it seems like is a Wahlburgers film. His brother's got to eat. You know, they can't just have the, the day old scraps from from the restaurant chain. You know, Yeah, he can't just bring those in at the end of a hard day. Just be like, here you go, uh, Donnie. Here's uh, leftover burgers. But does Donnie Osmond have to shore up his brothers? Really? Is this the way it has to be? I think, you know what, Mark, stay on your own track. Do those things that were giving you a lot of attention and good reviews. And I'm sure this is a very wholesome kind of family-friendly thing. But Mel Gibson's in it, enough said. Well, that kind of wraps up the, the stuff that is coming out. But real quick, before we, we throw to the interview... Uh, I know uh, Jared wanted to mention some of the interesting rumors that are coming out ahead of the Cannes Film Festival about possible movies that are going to screen there. There's a couple of secret projects that either will or won't. So I'll, I'll, Jared, tell us about this. The biggest one that was uh, trickling out yesterday is that there's a pretty good chance that there's going to be uh, some kind of new film from uh, David Lynch who... Uh, hasn't done like a proper movie in 17 years, I think was uh, when Inland Empire came out. And uh, obviously the last thing he even did, like otherwise, I mean, he's he's done some shorts and stuff, but like the last big thing was obviously Twin Peaks The Return, which was five years ago at this point. So it's been a little while for him, but it's exciting at the possibility of him putting anything out. Who's in it? Do we know? Laura Dern and some of the other David Lynch uh, folks. I think Kyle McLaughlin's going to be in it too. So all the the usual suspects for David Lynch stuff. You know, because you thought she should have been in something right after she won an Oscar. Mm -hmm. This is what she's been doing. Yeah. So I'm I'm excited for that. There's going to be a new David Cronenberg movie. Uh, he hasn't done anything in a little while either. And um, it just seems like it might be a, a good year for some of the old guard people because we're going to have uh, those two guys maybe do a new movie. Martin Scorsese for sure has a new movie coming out. James Cameron has a new movie uh, and Avatar 2 uh, coming out this year. So a good year for some of the, uh, the old fogies. But Avatar 2, how long have we been talking about that thing? In fact, I did <laughs> interviews with people who were in Avatar 2 and I think they're retired from the business. <laughs> I'm 
All, all I will say is this. The only other sequels that James Cameron has done so far are Aliens and Terminator 2, and those are pretty damn good movies. So I'm excited for Avatar 2. <laughs> He's got a good track record of movies, but he also has a great track record of people counting him out ahead of these enormous bets that he makes. I mean, I remember, you know, even, you know, a few weeks before Titanic came out, there was all this talk about it was just going to be this nightmare. And I mean, the the money they had to pour into this movie, no pun intended, I guess. But the uh, same thing with, you know, Avatar. I think the problem that you bump into with Avatar is that nobody remembers what the hell that movie was about. Nobody does. You know, I mean, like at, at most, maybe you recall that the the blue people hooked up with each other by twirling their tails together. <laughs> You know what I mean, Bruce? Their tree gets blown up. I'm not wrong. Am I, Bruce? No, you're absolutely right. And th- what I always found was so stupid about that movie is that they were they were mining something called unobtainium. Ooh, yeah. Could we not have come up with a better name for this metal or whatever it is that is unobtainable? Is that where James Cameron's at right now? Is he in the George Lucas prequel zone where he doesn't have enough people around him to, you know, kind of say that's a little on the nose there. Like, I don't, <laughs> I don't know if that's yeah. what we want. Good idea. Like yeah, exactly. It. Let's yeah. go with it. Mm-hmm. Well, have you guys been to Pandora at Disney world? It has a great ride. I mean, it's like the best ride where you get to ride around like you're in Pandora and it very much is very immersive. So I know that there's probably a, a desire to keep that thing going and they can easily just trade out the film, whatever, you know, if you want to add in anything new. But I, I agree. I think that it's been too long for people to remember what was going on and who was doing what. Edie Falco told me that she's been signed for several of them and they've been filming them all at once. How many are there? And are these going to spill out in a little faster fashion than this last? Because how many years has this been? Since 09. Yeah, that, come on. Oh, nine. Look what's happened since then. When the first one came out, because I remember these articles, there were articles about people that like got majorly depressed uh, after like watching Avatar because they wanted to be like in that world and it wasn't a real world. And they were like bummed that they couldn't be in the world of the Navi. So there there are going to be some diehards that show up for whenever Avatar 2 comes out this year. (laughs) It's fun to walk around that land. And when you see one of those blue people in like a tank, it's like, wow, that is, that's pretty good. And then you ride like a motorcycle thing through this world and you're, you really do feel it. But I think that's like the next phase of what film going will be like is that we're actually in the movies. And I get where he's going. He likes to be an innovator, but I don't know how you pull it back for a sequel. You mentioned earlier, you talking about the documentary on Disney Plus about the animators. There is another documentary series on Disney Plus that people haven't seen. Uh, it is about the the creation of that ride going from the you know development, you know, the early sketches all the way up to the the finished product at, in, in in Disney World. And it looks I mean, it looks like a lot of fun, but the, the actual documentary was fascinating. I rode the thing like a lot. I got to tell you just before we go. I waited two hours to get in line to ride that ride and it was worth it. It was worth the two hours. They have a lot of that goofy food that's kind of related to Pandora. And it's like, "Mm, I'll pass. I don't need blue this or blue that. But it is fun to look at all the junk that they are trying to sell. 
And somewhere, somewhere I have a picture of me wearing those ears. It's a hoot. It's a hoot. You got to send me that. <laughs> yeah, I think you might want to see it. Uh, and then there's another ride that's kind of lame. There's a lame ride that you ride down the river and you see this kind of very highly developed animated character that that's what you come to see. And it's like, well, that wasn't worth two hours in line, but the main ride is worth it. Okay. So anyway, swimming with sharks, swimming with sharks. It's kind of one of those where they want to make Hollywood look like it's a bad place to be and you shouldn't come. In fact, they even reference Iowa in the process is that you're, if you're from a derogatory term, Iowa, you shouldn't be coming here because it's a cutthroat world and we don't want to be, you shouldn't be a part of that. Well, this young girl comes to be an intern. She works for this studio head played by Diane Kruger, where she is pretty evil. She's pretty evil and she has her two henchmen or two assistants who jump and do whatever. And the girl is a little more cunning than you'd expect. And she wants to get closer to the, the reign of power. And she does what she needs to do to get there. And that's play, she's played by Kiernan Shipka from Mad Men. The film is a lot like um, last year's Oscar winner for best screenplay, Emerald Fennell's um, film. Oh, Promising Young Woman. Promising Young Woman. It's a lot like Promising Young Woman because it, you know, twists and turns and you, there's a, a hidden agenda going there. There are half hour episodes that go very quickly. And I had a chance to sit down and talk with not only Kathleen Robertson, who directed this, but this was her passion project for a long time. She wanted to remake the Kevin Spacey, Frank Wally film and give it a different kind of a twist. And I asked if this was like her her own experiences in Hollywood because she was in 90210, Beverly Hills 90210 as a, as a young actress. And she says, there's a lot of truth in all of this. So you get a chance to see, it's, it's heightened obviously, but you see what happens when this young girl moves into this world of a studio head and how she kind of causes chaos and then maybe brings the chaos back to her. So here we have interviews with Kiernan and Diane Kruger together and then a separate one with uh, Kathleen Roberts, the director. We will uh, hear that interview in just a moment, but for now, uh, subscribe to the show if you haven't already. Check us out on all the places uh, and, you know, like whatever. We got links to all the places to watch the stuff in the show notes. Check that out. And uh, yeah, Jared, why don't you, uh, why don't you take us out before we, we head over to this, uh, this interview? Absolutely. Uh, if uh, you and your brother are, uh, you know, involved in a heist and you're trying to get away and maybe you do get away from the cops, so you got to cool out for a while. We all know this, that when you steal a lot of money from a bank, you got to chill for a while. And what better way to, to lie low for a few hours uh, than to park uh, your ambulance or whatever vehicle you use to get away in at a, a movie theater and uh, go and uh, see something good at the theater. See something good. I uh, hope everybody's doing great out there. Enjoy the conversation that Bruce had, uh, which is coming up right now. Kathleen, why did you stick with this so long? What was it that you said, <laughs> I've got to do this? I know, I must be crazy. I mean, it's honestly, I've worked harder to get this to the finish line than, than pretty much anything. Um, 
I think it's just like, you know, you hear stories about like, it's just, it seems like this is, this is part of, uh, this, this was particularly challenging because we had, um, you know, a global pandemic and we had Quibi, the platform folding and, uh, you know, it was thing after thing, after thing, after thing. But, um, but I just really, yeah, I just, I just really believed in it. And I believed in the story and I believed in the two women at, at its core and, um, yeah, never say die. When, when you were acting, did you see this? Did you see this kind of behavior? Did you see this, you know, I'm sure it's a different, a different approach with actors than it is with writers and directors. For right? sure. For sure. Actors are totally protected and shielded and treated like, you know, um, glass Royal Dalton figurines that nobody wants to touch because they're scared they'll break. So yeah, acting, uh, you're sheltered from it. But um, my husband, who's also the producer of this, uh, Chris Coles, he was an executive uh, for many, many years. When we met, he was working for Scott Rudin. So my inroads and my sort of exposure to this side of the business was always like front row kind of seeing it as it was playing out in real time. So um, yeah, and, I, and I've been in the industry since I was 10. I started acting, you know, as a kid and, and this has always been my, my world. I have my 10,000 hours in this space. So it, it really felt kind of natural for me to explore it and blow, blow it open a little bit. A lot of the stories are really personal for me and firsthand. And Is it still this way as a, as a writer director? Or is it a different kind of a, you know, do you see a different side now? Well, I think the things have definitely gotten, of course, better, thankfully. I mean, as I was writing this, it was kind of during Harvey and, you know, all of this sort of, you know, Me Too and, and things were sort of really changing in the industry. And I think that um, definitely it's very different now, especially for women than it ever was when I was starting out. And, you know, Kiernan Shipka, who plays Lou, her and I would talk and I would tell her stories about, you know, when I first started in the industry, when I was, you know, first moved to Los Angeles, the first job I did was Beverly Hills 90210. I was 19 and the stuff that I kind of saw and experienced throughout the years, I don't think that stuff could happen anymore. Thankfully, you know, I think that um, people know that uh, they're being, they're, they're not allowed to, to do those kinds of things anymore. So Donald Sutherland's character in the piece really sort of represents the old guard and the sort of hopefully like the dissolution of like that part of the industry, which does feel like it's kind of coming to an end. Like it just doesn't feel like you can really get away with that stuff anymore, thankfully. What I, I love though, is that you have a woman who's being very kind of vile in all of this. And she's, you know, it's, and I think I've met some of those women, to be honest with you, where they are, you know what I mean? Why would a person stay as an assistant or an intern? Do they really think that they can move up? Because I, I see that where they treat them worse than anybody. They really don't want them to move up. Yeah, well, there's a line in the, in the series where Ross Butler says, you know, proximity to greatness can be intoxicating. And I think that's, that says it all. I mean, I think that there's thousands of kids that arrive in Hollywood every day that are just dying for proximity, whether it's as an actor or writer, an assistant, an intern. 
Um, Hollywood is just, it's the place where everybody still goes to reinvent themselves and to sort of find that magic. So yeah, I think they absolutely believe it. And, and, and there are those stories, you know, you hear about people who start out dirt bottom entry level and rise to become, you know, CEO. What is your advice though to those young people? Because we have them all the time who say, I want to go to Hollywood and I want to be famous. Well, fame <laughs> isn't a career path, but what no. do you say to those people? I say, <laughs> I mean, I was one of those people. So it's hard for me to, you know, I have a 13 year old and my son is just starting to sort of think about his future. And, you know, I just, I think that if it's, if it's what you desperately want and there's nothing else that you can imagine yourself doing and you're coming at it from a place of love, not a place of sort of, like you said, like if it's about fame, I mean, God, I would say, hell no, like, don't even think about it. But if it comes from a place of like, I want to be a storyteller or I want to, I want to try to affect change or I want to do something that feels like it has value, then yeah, absolutely. Go, Go for, for it. it. Right. Go for it. Can yeah. You start thinking about season two. I want season two. So I'm, I'm fingers crossed. I'm hoping, you know, people like it and watch it and yeah, I definitely would love to do multiple seasons of this. Great. Well, thank you so much. I appreciate it. Good Yay. luck. Yeah. Thank you so much. Those of us in Iowa, is this really what it's like in Hollywood? Come on. Oh my goodness. <laughs> People get killed all the time. <laughs> Isn't that the way it is? Never come to Hollywood. Stay in <laughs> Iowa. See, and I, when I heard, you know, when they mentioned Iowa in there, I thought, uh-oh, we're in trouble. We're in trouble. <laughs> For know. you two, what was it like when you first came to, to Hollywood, when you did see the studios and whatnot? Was it intimidating? Definitely intimidating. I mean, to me, it was also I'm not, you know, I mean, you, I know you live here, but um, the whole that whole American Hollywood dream, you know, is very much alive in Europe. And so I would just remember driving through those gates for the first time the, you know, the setup like it's like you see it in the movies, you know, it does it does exist. And when I started, certainly that sort of bad behavior. Um, that some executives or studio heads had or producers definitely, um, you know, rings very true. <laughs> For me, it was a little different because I moved to LA when I was six and started working right away. So it's almost like I didn't really know anything else. And my intro to kind of this world was, it, it felt paced and it felt like this kind of gradual introduction to all of these very kind of abnormal things. It, it wasn't like I touched down and then all of a sudden everything shifted. And I think I was also so, so young. So if anything, filming this kind of reignited that sort of magic of uh, studio lots. We were shooting at Paramount mm -hmm. for some of it, which was kind of amazing and and i will say as kind of familiar as as i am and i'm sure you are too with with this town at this point you you still do film in paramount or catch a glimpse of the hollywood sign and something something happens yeah. in there still to this day and i i think that's there's a magic to it all that that really is real is europe like that or not uh when you're filming there is it like no 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 we don't see this kind of stuff at all 
at all. I mean, you mean in terms of the lots and stuff? No, we don't well, have. Studio, you know, where it's this kind of power where it can really corrupt. Oh, I mean, we, you, you know, it's it, the system is different, right? It's not, we don't really have a studio system like, like what you have here, like mm -hmm. movies are produced through, um, randomly TV channels, right? And especially in France, that's, that's where they, you get grants, like you, it's not so, it's not one studio does this and then the rival st studio system, we don't have that. So if, it does feel very different. Have you encountered women like the women you play? Um, I mean, not, not, not to that extent, but I don't work. I'm not a, you know, I don't, I'm not an assistant or I don't work for mm -hmm. a studio boss, but I've certainly come across executives or producers that are that have haven't been super pleasant yes Kiernan have you had that too um well I mean as far as people that I've as far as the person that I play I'm sure I've I'm sure I've come across Luz but I would never know that's the whole point right is that she's pretty she's pretty sweet on the surface so I have met a lot of you know nice kind assistants but who knows what did you two see on. that there might be like an Eve Harrington uh, approach to this where you go, oh, it's, she's, she wants her job. That's what it's all about. And then it's not. Yeah, no, it's really much more complex than that. And I think that's what was so thrilling to me was just that there was always a, a layer to, to peel back in, in any scene on any given day. There was a ton of stuff and a ton of fun stuff to kind of work with and put into the scenes mm -hmm. and the performances. Well, that's what I love about this is that you think it's going in one direction and boy, it just switches and goes in a whole other direction. Oh, yeah. Are you up for season two? I'm down. Yeah. I don't know what happened. I don't know, what, I don't would know what they would. Everything really Maybe our kid escalated. Would, yeah, our, <laughs> yeah, our child. Would be pretty evil. Our child would be. Sharks, the next generation. Isn't horrifying. that how that is? Right. The next gen of sharks. I love it. Right. Hey, thank you so much. Appreciate thank it. You. Thank you. And that's it for this episode. Thank you again for listening. Thank you to Diane Kruger, Kiernan Shipka, and Kathleen Robertson for the interview. Swimming with Sharks is on Roku for free April 26th. We will have links to that and all the other shows and movies that we mentioned on the podcast in the show notes. Find that there. We'll be back next week with more news and reviews and fun entertainment type chatter, as well as an interview with the director of The Northman and The Lighthouse and The Witch, Robert Eggers. So make sure that you are subscribed. As always, see something good. I'm Vengeance, Harry. <laughs>